As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, Thomas, we finally have ourselves a series in the Stanley Cup final as we bring you the latest episode of the VanCast. But first, we got to talk about the big victory on the ice, off the ice, actually. The Vancouver Canucks have themselves a prized free agent in Andre Kuzmenko. We were so close to doing an emergency pod yesterday because Canuck Nation was just beside themselves. I mean, first, the city gets validated with a World Cup berth. As far as hosting is concerned, we're going to host a bunch of games in 2026. That was a feather in the cap of the city. And now Andre Kuzmenko, who has been wined and dined across North America, is coming here. Thomas Strantz, I hear you're the big reason he decided to come to Vancouver. Yeah, I'm like Panarin. Uh, (laughs) My ability was uh, finally rewarded. I was finally helped. I finally helped the club land a player as opposed to scaring them away. Um, Thanks, thanks, Mr. Booth. Anyway, (laughs) Kuzmenko. Yeah, look, it's big. I mean, he may be a bit player. He may be nothing. But you need to have a flow of low-risk, high-upside bets coming into a club that needs a lot of help. I mean, you don't just land the the guy who makes a big difference. You know, you think about all of the players that teams, like you think about all the players that a team has to churn through to get one of these guys. Like, let's, let's pick the Leafs as an example, right? You have Ilya Mikhaev, right, who's a great free agent signing out of the KHL. But they also had Barabanov, who's still in the league, but like, you know, doesn't really move the needle. You also had Miko Lettinen, the defenseman they signed out of the KHL, who amounted to nothing, right? So you take three swings and you get one guy, right? But you need that flow of talent coming into the club. 
And the fact that Kuzmenko chose the Canucks, I think, speaks well of new management. Clearly, they were able to sell their vision. That's a big test. Uh, you know, they didn't land any of the guys they wanted to in the NCAA sweeps a couple of months back, but now they've got sort of a crown jewel for a class of incoming talent that this club is desperate for, desperate for this type of high upside bet. It'll be fascinating to see how he does on the ice, but no matter what, right? Whether Literally, whether he's a success or whether he's nothing, it's a big move for the club and a good sign that they were able to fight through a pretty crowded field and be the suitor that emerged successful. Yeah, our understanding is at some point, every team in the NHL reached out to Dan Milstein for Kuzmenko's services. And the short list included teams like the Edmonton Oilers, the Florida Panthers, the Vegas Golden Knights. And, you know, I, when you think about it, I mean, you could go to Edmonton and these are one-year contracts, right? So you want to set yourself up for that second deal. And if yeah. Edmonton is throwing around the possibility of playing with McDavid or Dreisaitl, or you go to Florida and you've got the team that just won the President's Trophy, you go to Vegas, which is a heck of a lot closer to a deep playoff run than the Canucks are and surrounding him with really good players. And yet he chose Vancouver. And one of the reasons for it was the comfort level that he has with Patrick Alvin, who has been developing a relationship with him for a number of years since Alvin was back in Pittsburgh, uh, you know, watched him play in the KHL previously. You look at the effort that both, you know, look, it's, it's a drive. So you can overplay what one thing, what one moment did and the impression that it left, but Bruce Boudreaux drives from Hershey, Pennsylvania to Ann Arbor last Friday. That's almost a seven hour drive. Alvin goes and drives four hours. So they meet with him together. And, you know, our understanding is that, that that made a difference to him. That meant a lot to him. But at the same time, the Canucks didn't make any ridiculous promises that, look, you're going to be a top line player getting first line power play minutes. Um, you know, everything's got to be earned. And all of that mattered to him. Yeah. And, the, and I mean, look, a lot of promises get told in the recruiting process. You're a football guy. You know that. Absolutely. They're all lies. They're all lies. You, you're never guaranteed anything if you can't hack it. You know, like training camps sort the wheat from the shaft pretty quick. And that's how it goes. Like, that's how the NHL goes. So there's no there's no guarantee you could give that's true anyway. But I will say one thing that I do think put the club in the driver's seat, as it were, is that there's an earnest belief that Kuzmenko is going to be able to contribute to the power play right away. Like they believe that. Which power play? Well, that's an interesting question, but presumably PP1. I mean, that's really like the idea of balanced power play units. You know, I I never really buy it anyway. I know the Canucks have tried it. I know that it's a goal. Um, Leafs did it for most of this season, did they not? Not really. Matthews and Martin are on the same unit. I mean, they had they had enough good players that they were productive on the second unit, but their first power play unit had Matthews, Tavares, Marner, Nylander, Riley. So, I mean, that's that's it. Like, that's 50 million worth of talent right there. Maybe so, I'm thinking of last year when Malhotra first got to Toronto that they attempted to have balanced units, but yeah. maybe I'm wrong. No, but I, I mean, pa- balance on the power play, you know, Kucherov, Point, um, Stamkos and Hedman all play on the same unit, right? Like there, you, you're not going to find many, uh, game plan balanced units, PP one. That's all it is. That's all that matters. And, you know, playing power play two, you might get an extra five points, but playing power play one, you might get an extra 25, 30, depending on how successful the unit is. 
Like that's where the money is for Kuzmenko. I think the club believes that he can help out right away. And, you know, he's more likely to be a net front guy than anything else. I think on the power play, this is a, this is a big body kid, right? A bit of a tank, you know, get puck, take puck to net, uh, but really skilled playmaker, right-handed shooter, uh, threads passes pretty effectively through coverage, finds teammates. Well, um, could be a really dynamic presence on, on at the net front, but of course, to be there, he'll have to dislodge somebody, and that's sort of where the intrigue arises, particularly as the Kuzmenko signing kicks off what's going to be a transformative month one way or the other for the Vancouver Canucks. Well, let's talk a little bit about the player and, and break him down a little bit because you know I know Darren Drager reported yesterday that uh, you know he was told that there's a, he's got a really good opportunity to play in the Vancouver's top six right away. Others view him as a middle six type player in terms of his upside. I've heard some of the breakdowns suggest that he's a 20 goal scorer, a 50 point guy. I'm not sure if that's for this year or if that's what his believed ceiling is. So, you know, 5'11, 195, uh, he's going to play left wing in an area where, where Vancouver's pretty thin down the left side. Where does he, where should Vancouver fans expect him to play this year? in terms of, you know, how high up the lineup, you know, we, we've seen, I, I saw Harm's article talking about comparables and truthfully there were more bad comparables than there were good comparables or in a lot of cases there weren't any perfect comparables, but what should fans expect from this guy? I mean, the main thing that I would expect from Kuzmenko is that he is certainly given a real shot to be a top nine guy. And it'll depend a little bit on what help happens elsewhere because he is the lefty. He's right-handed. I think you want him with a lefty shoot for a centerman. And luckily for the Canucks, they kind of have three of them. Yeah. Although Patterson kind of has to be cajoled into shooting at the volume you want sometimes, right? But, you know, I mean, I, I like the idea of him fitting in as a righty shot who's a, who's a pass first. He's a pass first guy. The, the, here's the main things you need to know about Kuzmenko stylistically, right? Pass first, right-handed left winger, right? Looks a lot bigger than his listed dimensions. You know, I'm used to seeing a guy listed at 5'11", and then I go watch the tape, which I did at length yesterday, of them playing in the KHL. And I'm like, nah, that guy's a soft 5'11". He's really, you know, six, you know, 5'9", something like that, right? And Kuzmenko is one of the rare guys who I go watch him play, and I'm like, this guy looks bigger than his listed dimensions. Um, so, you know, He's a pretty big bodied player. Like he's a he's a bit of a tank in terms of his physical dimensions. And, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why when you look over the lists of comps, you, you probably have higher hopes for Kuzmenko than than some might, because you know, you look through guys like Gusev who didn't make it, right? Um, and he's just he's two inches and 20 pounds heavier, like two inches taller, 20 pounds heavier. So that's sort of, you know, a big thing to keep in mind here. Kuzmenko's a pretty impressive piece. I think he's got the skill level to be, you know, an impactful NHL player, but I also think there's going to be a learning curve here. And I think there's going to be a learning curve, particularly on the power play. Like I like the idea of the Canucks having a really high end right-handed playmaker at the, at like down low. Um, sort of to Foley-esque, right, in terms of what he could eventually do in terms of impacting Vancouver's five-on-four play. But it's not going to be overnight. You know, the 1-3-1 one, one 
on the international ice sheet, you've got the guy in the bumper. He's way for he's like down low to a much greater extent. Kuzmenko operates almost beneath the goal line a fair bit, right? A lot of plays behind the net out of uh, out of the old office, Wayne's old office. Like that's sort of what you can do when you're the net front guy in the KHL or on the international ice sheet. But in the NHL, there's a little bit more yeoman's work involved, right? And and some of the dimensions are going to be a little bit different. So, you know, there's going to be a learning curve. There's going to be some adjustment. But I think there's every reason to believe that Kuzmenko has the skill set to translate um, on the North American ice and, and be a pretty impactful player. But whether he is or not, again, doesn't matter. You know, it's the it's the lottery ticket. It's the chance that he has to be something meaningful that you know, this club needs to bring in as many free rolls of the dice as they can in the next few years, because particularly if they're not going to go through a lengthy rebuild and restock the way they may need to, to be totally frank with you, Farhan, um, in terms of rebuilding the depth of the organization, the blue line, like if they're not going to go through the pain of, of accumulating, well, then you're going to need to be super efficient, finding some really impactful players in some non-traditional from in non-traditional ways. And Kuzmenko's a really good start on of that to that project. Yeah, for sure, definitely a, a validation, a, a chance to jumpstart if they can hit on him. And what does it do? Like, first, I want to ask you about who you think the best players are for him to play with. Uh, for me, I I think because he's a pass first player, I'd like to see him play with Bo Horvat. Uh, and and I say that because of the three centermen, Bo is probably the least playmaker esque, for lack of a better description. Right? I mean, he's a straight line player. And if you can get someone to potentially get him the puck as much as the other way around from that side, uh, I think you can potentially take advantage of, of both players quite nicely. I know a lot of people believe that he should play with Pod Colson because the two of them did play together uh, for a period of time in SCA uh, in the KHL, but two different players at, or sorry, players at different stages of their career. Because when you think about how young Pod Colson was when they played together and just kind of, you know, the lack of run he necessarily got prior to that last playoff he played before coming to Vancouver. Um, you know, who do you think the the logical line mates are for, uh, for him? I want to see a little bit more in terms of his overall skill set. The one thing that I like, like, I always think if you're a really high end playmaker, then the higher end players you play with the more interesting options become available, right? I mean, you think about um, Henrik and Daniel, obviously, in this market, that's who you think about right away. But I also think about watching like Huberto and Barkov play together, which I did a lot when I was in Florida. And one thing when you get really like two really high end players together, and you can see this out of Kucherov and Stamkos. You can see this out of McKinnon when he plays with Miko Rantanen, right? Like you can see this, uh, across the league. It's not just the twins, but you almost get this like hive mind where, where the, the team's almost like assessing value at every moment. Like, oh, I'll pass off this shot because I can create a higher shot in two touches for this other guy because I trust this other guy so much. And I almost feel like it, the value sort of like extrapolates like a chain reaction, like every piece of the line can become that much more valuable. And so, you know, I, I like the idea potentially of starting him off maybe on a, a secondary or, or tertiary scoring line with, with like Bo Horvat and Pod Colson. I mean, that sounds good to me in my mind's eye, but I'd love to see him play with Elias Pettersson. Like, I think if you have a pass first righty and you can put him with a shooter like Pettersson, 
and a playmaker like Pedersen, I think the sky's the limit. I'd be really curious to see that as a first option, particularly if you're going to play Pedersen with Brock, you know, finding a, a real like pass first winger to accompany those two guys, uh, sort of really good one shot scorers. That to me sounds really interesting. A year ago, when the Canucks acquired Jason Dickinson, we talked about them having an extremely dynamic top nine. Certainly didn't turn out that way. This no. signing here with Kuzmenko has some people thinking the same thing. When we come back, we'll talk about that, but might it lead to other moves that prevent them from having a top nine? Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So, Drancer, when you bring in a player like Kuzmenko, you can certainly add it to your top nine, but we have talked about the Canucks needing to find ways to create cap space, and they've got a number of forwards who shouldn't be deemed untouchable. You've certainly got your contract issues right now with Brock Besser and JT Miller, uh, but you know if they wind up keeping them, something has got to give. We've talked about Tanner Pearson having a good year last year, a chance to sell high on him. We've talked about Connor Garland, who finished the season strong, but overall from start to finish, didn't necessarily look like a great fit and a player that has plenty of value, undersized player. Um, Kuzmenko's 5'11". You talk about him being bigger than what his listed size is, so he's not necessarily a guy that's undersized, but he does give you some flexibility to potentially part with a current asset. So do you expect this signing... Or two. Or two. Or two. So do you expect <laughs> this signing to pave the way to make the club much more comfortable parting with somebody that's on the in the lineup right now in their top nine? I mean, look, this team needs to be more balanced, right? They need help on defense. I think the defense needs to be completely rebuilt, to be totally honest with you. So, you know, in my view, if you've got, you know, somewhere between 15 and 20 million locked up in top six wingers, which depending on your mileage with JT Miller, that's exactly what you've got, right? If Besser's seven, five next year, Pearson's three plus Bo Horvat and, or sorry, not Bo Horvat, uh, JT Miller's going to uh, five plus for this next year could, could go up significantly thereafter. And then Garland's five plus, like you're talking 15 to 20 million invested in top six wingers. You know, those are players that are very good, right? Across the board, very good players, but they're also the players that are easiest to replace, right? Like one thing about Pearson, it's, it's an interesting pendulum that Tanner Pearson's on, right? Because at the start of the year, people were crushing him in this market. And, and now people are like, well, you know, he's actually worth the contract. And it's a, it's a really strange thing because my view on Pearson's never really changed, which is that Tanner Pearson's a really good player and I really like him. But, I always think you're 
treading into very dangerous waters paying any middle six winger who's not an expert, like a super high-end contributor on one special teams unit or the other, right? Like they need to be a super uh, elite penalty killer or power play guy, in my view, to justify a three plus million dollar commitment over multiple years because you can find that guy for one million. You can find that guy for one point five. Right. Like it's well, you also talked about you also talked about his fit age wise relative to where this club is and what their contention window is. And he's a great finishing piece. So you talk about him being replaceable, but also the age fit does play into it, too. I'm just saying I I, the vacillation in opinion. Right. That's that's the results based analysis as opposed to the strong priors and the and the thought out thing that sort of, you know, I don't move very often. Right. And that's that's, I think, a drawback. Like one thing I'm conscious of is my priors are really strong. It takes a lot for me to change my mind once I've made it, right? If you no, struggle, not you. Yeah, if you struggle mightily, if you struggle mightily for the first 40 games, for example, or 30 games, I'm not going to change my mind even if you are a 106 point team over the last 60. Right? I don't know if that's relevant to this team, but like that's how I view the game naturally. That's just naturally how I view things. It takes more even though it's double the sample, it takes more than that to change my mind once you've been really, really bad for 30 games because sucking for a thousand plus minutes um, cements you in my mind as a team capable of sucking. <laughs> and that tells me a lot. And so, you know, with, with Pearson, as, a, as an example, like I know what Pearson is in my mind. He's a, you know, low end second line winger or a high end third line guy. Right. And. My view of that has been consistent since the moment, you know, I I, I came back to this beat. Um, I think he shows that every year. Some years his scoring's up, some years his scoring's down, right? He's going to be between 35 or 30 and 45 points every year. And the problem is, is that there's real opportunity cost there because you can find that guy for a million dollars. And the good teams do that every year, year after year. And then when you compound the opportunity cost of not dealing a guy when his value is high at the deadline, which the Canucks did when they extended him in 2020, it just becomes stupid, right? It's a, it was a stupid move, but he's a good player and both things can be true, right? The contract's not a good one, but it's also not a disaster. Both things can be true. And so, you know, I look up and down this lineup in particular and see too much money invested in a surplus of top six wingers. And I think those are the guys you can replace with the most ease. And I think Kuzmenko is a really good example. Like you can go out and find four or five affordable bets, you know, guys like uh, Jesper Fast in Carolina, or you think about how Val Nachushkin came into Colorado. Um, you know, you can find those guys and and place a bunch of bets and and hit, you know, some singles or some doubles, right? You can find Verhages, you can find Michael Buntings, you can find, you know, um, guys like that every year. And then also at the deadline, you can find guys like that. So I, I, you know, I sort of think of that as the prime target. If this club's going to reallocate salary, if they're going to free up cap space, if they're going to get some futures to, to, ensure some some brighter days or at least a steady flow of incoming talent you know i think i think dealing from that surplus is requisite like i don't see a way around it 
And I'm curious to see if management will ultimately agree and, and act accordingly, or if they're going to try to do something different, you know, uh, I mean, we'll know in the next three weeks, we're, we're sort of getting it down to crunch time here. But my view of it is regardless of whether Kuzmenko chose Vancouver or not, that's something that this team has to seriously consider and probably has to do if the goal is to get to where they want to be in, you know, on a two year timeline. If you had to pick between Pearson and Garland, who's the one that most like is more likely to get moved? Garland has the bigger contractual commitment, but Garland's also the better player, the more dynamic player, but polarizing in terms of how he'd be valued around the league. Pearson's a guy that Rutherford has traded before, right? So, um, you know, traded for and then quickly traded, in fact. So I guess we, you know, I, those are both very interesting considerations. I, I think some of it, too, might depend on what happens a little higher up the lineup, right? Both, both of those guys could be tied to what the club decides to do with the bigger ticket items, the, the Besser QO uh, and, and JT Miller's extension or, or trade situation. Uh, primarily, when I look at when I look at Kuzmenko, and you know I see where he where he takes kind of this organization, um, and and again let's not overplay it, but it, does it change the organization's priorities at all? We talk about moving money, we talk about needing to upgrade the top four of their blue line, but as far as what happens down the middle, if there's no other move, it pretty much solidifies the fact that that Miller doesn't get moved back to wing, doesn't it? I mean, it, it allows them the flexibility if they, again, if they don't make any other move, and I do think they're going to make a move, but if it were, if you were to look at the lineup the way it is now, you pretty much know that you've got those three guys down the middle. There's less of a need to take a, a JT Miller and move him back to the wing to, to balance out your forwards. Yeah, no question. And, you know, your mileage may vary. I think there's a lot of people who believe that Miller, including the organization, by the way, including Boudreaux, and Rutherford, who believe that Miller is a center. And for me, that's not quite the case. Um, I want to dive into it a little bit more and quantify it a bit. But, you know, I think Miller's a better fit on the wing. I think he's a more impactful two-way piece there. Um, but, yeah, right now, you know, if you were to go into the next season, you'd sort of be looking at something like, I don't know, uh, I guess, you know, Pearson Miller. Pearson and Miller was a good fit. Last year, like maybe it's Pearson, Miller, Garland, um, you know, Kuzmenko, Patterson, Besser. Uh, I guess that leaves you with Pod Colson, Hoaglander, and uh, Horvat. So maybe, maybe, maybe it's maybe it's Pod Colson up with uh, with Miller and Pearson, and then Horvat, Garland, Hoaglander. Although I don't know that those two can fit together. So I mean, it's still it's still you still go through it, and there's a lot of guys that you know. There's a lot of things to work through, like. Will Hoaglander really be a top nine guy for Bruce Boudreaux? That's an active question. Are the Canucks going to be comfortable playing a line that has both Hoaglander and Garland on it at the same time? I think that's a very open question. Um, you know, JT Miller moving back to center feels very settled. That, that to me doesn't feel like if Miller's back, he's going to be a, as a center. Um, that feels settled. But there's a ton of other questions remaining, I think, uh, beneath that that, you know, are, are certainly more active and, and do suggest that, you know, I don't know that you can view this top nine as a finished product or overhype it. No, you right? can't. I mean, and it still looks Pod smallish. Colson, it, absolutely, it's still smallish. Uh, Pod Colson made big strides, but, you know, the, the sophomore slump's a real thing. Like, that happens all the time. Oglander's living uh, proof. You, 
Hoaglander's living proof. You can't just assume linear improvement there. Um, you know, Garland, the Garland fit, like which, which center do you like Garland with the best? You know, he was productive, but did it feel like he found chemistry with any of those three guys? Well, it's funny because when we saw Garland in the preseason, we we felt that his work rate gave him chemistry with everybody. It was like everybody he played with right out of the gate. It was, you know, oh, he makes everybody better because he brings some energy. And then very quickly, you found it kind of didn't fit with anybody. But look, ultimately, his production uh, at the end of the season, when it mattered over the final 20 games, I think was significantly better. And you oh, it was stellar, you know, so yeah, his five on five production stellar, but he's kind of like he kind of drives his own line. Yeah, but you can't, you know, you can't put him on a fourth line. And if the, if that's what he is and he doesn't need to be fed the puck because he always controls the puck, then, you know, you you look at him and you might think good fit with Horvat. Right. Although Horvat is more prone to attacking off the rush, which isn't necessarily Garland's specialty. So, Good point. you know, I don't know. I don't know that those two. So anyway, I have a ton of questions still about the top nine. I don't think you should write this down. Like, I don't think you should write, like, say, say let's, let's write it down totally differently. Let's write it down with like Pod Colson, Miller, Kuzmenko, just for fun. Hoaglander, Pedersen, Besser, Pearson, Horvat, Pod Colson. Or no, I've put Pod Colson in two spots. Um, uh, who's the right wing in this situation? Hoaglanders with Pedersen, Garland. Okay, so Pearson, Horvat, Garland is my third line. And like, if, if you line. pencil it in, like, yeah, it is a good third line. You're right. There, there are things to like there, but there's also, you know, who's who's handling your matchups? You're throwing Pod Polson and Kuzmenko into matchups in that case, or are you throwing Garland into matchups? Because either way, I think. The Canucks would be like, I don't know. Well, there's a real and limitation there. There's a huge up. limitation for Vancouver matchup wingers when when Miller's not among them. Yeah, like you, well, it's for sure. There you've is. got Pearson it's, and Besser. Okay, Besser's your best bet. Yeah, He's no, the guy who always handles tough for toughs for this team. So, you know, it's um, yeah. I mean, it's just it's tough to figure out. Which to me. If if you're if you're having these conversations, like I think let's let's step back and just say what the what this conversation and our uncertainty and all the like things that we're mm, mm, you know side eyeing as we go through it illustrate that while there's talent and a fair bit of talent in the Canucks top nine, it's not like it's an easy group to settle into or figure out exactly where everyone fits. Like there's still work to do in terms of balancing out exactly what it looks like. And then, and then we still need a right-handed centerman, surely, and we still need some guys to kill penalties. And you know, I, I don't think, like, I don't think we should make the mistake of last season and just be like, okay, you know, this top nine group's loaded. You know, there's real question marks hanging over the lineup, even as it currently stands. Well, we got a lot of months to talk about this uh, free agency. Actually, free agency is three weeks away, so we will certainly get into uh, what the finished product could potentially look like in the weeks ahead. When we come back. I want to dive into the Stanley Cup final because last night, a statement was made by the defending champs. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So, Drancher, first period of that game last night, I thought this thing was going to end in a sweep. So, Tampa gets the break with the offside 
causing the disallowed goal uh, on that knuckleball that went blocker side on Vasilevsky where any goal seems to go, um, few that there are. Uh, but then they still get the first goal in the power play, and they really outplayed Tampa for much of that period. But see, I thought Tampa, I thought Tampa generated more even right out of the gate. I thought so? Kemper had his best ten minutes of the series. Well, yeah, and then I thought he had his worst, you know, twenty minutes of the series as Tampa Bay took a commanding lead. Well, Vasilevsky still made some some big time five alarm saves. That full splits across to get to the far post was he was dialed. Was he was ridiculous, right? So. Yeah. Look, I think if you compare Tampa and their first 10 minutes or even their first period to what they did in game two, yeah, I can get what you think that way. But I still think that Colorado was also able to generate. And then all of a sudden they take the lead. And after that, even when Colorado made it 3-2, Tampa answers right away to make it 4-2. You knew the game was Tampa's at that point. They just got stronger and stronger. Um, you know, the way the way they played last night, top to bottom, that showed the heart of a champion. They are very, very good, and they adapt. I mean, you know, holding the abs to just two goals is feels like a harbinger, right? I mean, I don't think we're going to see the the big, you know, five goals against Tampa scorelines here. Like, I think Colorado's going to need to gut out a 2-1 win at some point if they're going to win the Cup. And who do you like in a 2-1 game? Yeah. More, but, but, you know, like, this is going to be a big test. These, these last two wins, you know, Colorado at the end of the day still has four chances to win two games, right? They still just need to be 500 <laughs> the rest of the way and they'll win the cup. And yeah, try convincing a Canuck fan of that. Right. And well, in Tampa Bay, I mean, they're a beast. They're, they're a monster. Like they're just so good at learning how to combat what opponents do. And so big test now on Wednesday, huge stakes to that game, because you know, if Tampa Bay wins it, they're going to be like, we're, we're on script. We're on script. We know what this looks like the rest of the way. Um, so Colorado, you know, Colorado's going to have another shot here. Like they are the Rangers had that shot in game three. They missed it. The Toronto Maple Leafs had that shot in game six. They missed it. And Tampa Bay or Tampa Bay is going to be on the ropes again in this series it probably on probably on Wednesday and if not on Wednesday then on Friday Colorado's going to have another shot here and they just can't afford to miss it in game one they didn't right like Tampa Bay clawed back they had no business clawing back and Tampa Bay managed to hold on win that game they needed it they're going to have another shot to topple the champs in my view they they just are too much better like they're materially the better team and yet Tampa Bay knows exactly how to win these games. Their tactical noose is unmatched and they're going to have another shot. They just can't afford to miss it when it comes. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree. I mean, I just think they're too talented not to. But game four, in my mind, is the series. And I, and I always find game four is the most important game in any series outside of seven, obviously. But um, you're right. I mean, if they win this game, they're going to be on script. Colorado is going to face adversity for the first time in these playoffs. And... You know, when I when I look at uh, when I look at Tampa, if they win this game and you've also got a goaltending situation right now and it's not like Tampa, Tampa gave up seven. You knew Vasilevsky was the guy, but yep. Kemper's been up and down these playoffs. You had Francois play a significant amount of time in the last series, so you can turn to him reasonably. It's not like Kemper's a bonafide star goaltender that you have to go back to. So there's a question yep. now in goal there. And, you know, you look well, not. Is there, I think Kemper's back for game four. Maybe, but, I, but I don't, if I he's back, if, he's back on a short leash, whereas there's no leash for, for sure. Vasilevsky. No, no, they're, they're one tough 
their one tough goal, their one garbage goal away from making from a permanent goaltending change. Ma- yeah, from, well, or from goaltending being a major subplot to this series, and you never, never want to be in a series where goaltending is a major subplot. How about Nate Paul? Looks like he's probably going to be lost for the game or longer at the end of the first period. Comes back and scores in the first two minutes of the second. Uh, Beast. The other injury in this is you know, and his role as, is as, his role is so important the, with Braden Point out. It is, yeah. As the founding member of the Nick Paul fan club, I gave him a sulky vote last year. So as the as as one of the original members of the uh, charter members of the Nick Club fan, uh, Nick Paul fan club, <laughs> I think I think last year at one point I used a line that said the only people like I might like Nick Paul more than his own family, right? Um, so Nick Paul was like a bo- a guy I boosted all through last year, and then I didn't like the trade that acquired him because I thought they sacrificed too much speed. But uh, but man, he's been great for them. Love to see it. He's a he's a really good player. Next thing you know, if he gets traded or sent to Toronto, you'd just be you know you you'd go to his house, you'd fly out there, you'd you know Stop. you'd shake his hand and welcome him. Hey, Stop uh, it. <laughs> um, so uh, and Kucherov is going to be a big story. So we saw the play from Devin Taves. I didn't like it. You know, it felt like I, I kind of agree with John Cooper post game when he said it, people know what they're doing. Like it, it just seemed too convenient in that moment when he had him down. It didn't look like a, a slip and slide play to me. Uh, it didn't look ugly, dirty, but it did look kind of sneaky, dirty to me. And I'm not saying Devin Taves is that type of player, but I didn't like the play. And so he stays in. Well, and Kucherov, Kucherov, I don't know why no one talked about this, but Kucherov had a pretty iffy hit. Like a pretty sneaky, dirty hit on Josh Manson, thirty seconds earlier. Yeah, okay. And there's no way that that wasn't in Taves's mind, in my mind. Uh, fair enough. Yeah, I didn't see the hit the I, same I way you did warrants, in that moment. I don't think it warrants supplemental discipline. I want to be clear I, about I that. I agree. But, but I, I think it's fair to say that that was um, a borderline hit for sure. Yeah, and the other thing that's the other thing that's happened now is that you've given a lot of Tampa Bay Lightning players confidence. So let's start with Kucherov, who had been ordinary in the two games in Colorado, but I thought he looked fabulous. Very ordinary. I thought he looked fabulous last night. And, uh, you know, his line controlled play so much. He was generating, he was skating, he was driving the net. Um, If he's hurt, that completely changes the narrative of this series. But let's say for the sake of argument that he's available. And if he plays... He'll be available. He'll play. He'll play on crutches. Yeah. You've you've really really let the genie out of the bottle with some of these guys that that had to feel a little bit frustrated, but they must feel really good. I mean, Stamco scores that you know the scoring was spread out through the lineup. They looked really it was really a good. Last too, time. I loved that Stamco's turn and shoot. That was beautiful. Yeah, um, yeah. Look, Kucherov, Kucherov can take over any series he's in. Period. I think he's underrated as one of the great players in this game right now. He might be he might be the guy I'd pick first in a game in which the fate of the world was at stake, like a game against, you know, the Monstars. Kucherov might be my first pick. I'm not kidding. Like, he's that good at winning games. And, yeah, I mean, he he's going to be healthy. I, I I have no question in my mind. Um, You know, I, I bet he stays in if the result was in doubt, to be totally honest with you. I think he's going to play. I think he's going to play great. And, you know, look, the, the Colorado Avalanche have a very tough opponent a historically tough opponent on their hands um but i still think they have a higher gear like i you know tampa was my pick i'm not deviating from that i picked them in six um 
we'll see how it goes. I think if Tampa, Tampa's Tampa's hanging on by their fingernails in this series, even last night, and yet, boy, you know the 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 aura around them just feels so inevitable every game they play. You're talking about Tampa, or Colorado now, because you said they were hanging I on. No, I always the Tampa was hanging on. It has hang hung on by their fingernails in this series. Yeah, I thought they did it against the Leafs too. But they always stop talking about the leaf strancher on behalf of Canuck Nation. I stop it. I, <laughs> I'm just saying Tampa Bay can win against teams that have a higher gear than them. They can. I, We've already seen right. it. We've already seen it. And and I'm just saying it feels a little bit like that. It feels a little bit like a lesser team would get blown up the map by their opponent. And yet Tampa Bay, there's an aura of inevitability around them, even against a superior opponent. You know, when I when I watched the game, the biggest thing that I got out of it was thank God we have a series because if, like game two felt real. Game two didn't feel like a one off to me. You know, it's easy for every team to say, yeah, we just stuffed that and put it away. It's just one loss, one nothing, seven nothing doesn't matter. But it felt real. And to to see the game we got last night, now I finally feel like, okay, we're going to have a series because there was so much buildup and rightfully so around this one. You just didn't want to see this one underperform and underdeliver. Yeah, no, no question. And um, and I don't think it will. I really, I think the drama is just beginning, and I think it's just beginning to get good. Uh, are we changing our predictions at all? We both had Tampa in six. Yeah, no, I'm sticking with it until I'm wrong. Well, I'm, that I'm, means they got to win I'm all stubborn three. Like that, they got to win the next three. Yeah. Well, I'm I, until I'm until I'm wrong, I'm going to stick with it. All right. Well, if you're nothing else, if not stubborn, my friend. Exactly. Um, we are going to go. Uh, it's, this has been a fun show because we got to dive into a little more in the way of Canuck topics. Uh, we're only going to do this one show this week uh, we, because, you know, we are in the offseason. So we'll try to get back to a couple maybe in July uh, as some more Canuck guests become available and as we get closer to free agency and we get closer to the draft. But for the rest of this month, uh, we're just going to do the one a week. So if you're looking for other pod options, Brady Kachuk of the Ottawa Senators joins Craig Custance and Sean Gentilly this week on the Athletic Hockey Show. Meanwhile, thanks for listening to the VanCast. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to leave us an exceptional rating and a review. Right now, you can get annual subscriptions to The Athletic for just $1 a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash VanCast. For Drancer, I'm Farhan. We'll be back next week. Remember, Tampa in six. Tampa in six.